Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Housing. Yes, we did have a name switch, but it sounds a lot cooler this way. My name is Brennan Thomas, and I am the co-host here alongside Stephen Thomas, chief economist and founder of Reports on Housing. Today, we will talk about the inventory crunch, the years leading up to COVID, and how it all led to today. Uh, we'll touch on the jobs report, and later we'll dive into some common questions. So I just want to start by asking Stephen, with the data that we currently have, what are you seeing in today's market? Is it slowing or is it accelerating? What's going on? Right now, today, as of the first week of August, Friday, we're seeing a just a really slight slowdown. We're actually getting uh, a little bit quicker uh, increase in inventory than I was anticipating a little bit recently, as well as uh, demand is slowly falling at a really slow pace. But when you have more homes on the market and demand coming down a little bit, you'll get a slowdown in the expected market time. And that is you place your home on the market, when are you opening up escrow? And right now it's just slowing down a little bit faster than it normally would. Uh, but that, that will change uh, probably shortly. We'll have to wait and see if this continues. But my, my thinking is sometimes these are just week to week, week, to week and, it, uh, and we just see different changes and fluctuations in the marketplace. And this is just one of those weeks. So as for someone who was just introduced to housing economics in 2022, what was the inventory like during and following the 08 Great Recession? Well, leading up to the Great Recession, uh, inventory was lower. And then uh, during the Great Recession, actually, it was prior to it. You could actually see this coming in the fall of 2005. There was a start to be a buildup in the inventory. As a matter of fact, we saw for a short period of time in 2004 a buildup of the inventory, but that's when subprime was born and pick a payment plan and all the junky loans that we were doing way back in, in the day, and that ate up all the inventory. So uh, until we got to about fall of 2005, all of a sudden affordability became an issue and there were a lot more homes that began to accumulate. In 2006, a lot accumulated. And then by the time we got to 2007, across the United States, there were 4 million properties that were available uh, across the Fruited Plain. And so that's where it was during the Great Recession was Four million, and uh, that that was leading up to the recession and uh, after the recession. And what was the second part of the question? Second part of the question was just following the the 08 Great Recession. Just what was the inventory like? So I guess the years from I'd say like 2010 to 2014. Yeah. So uh, gradually, what happened was we ate up a lot of the distressed short sales and foreclosures. They were a big piece of the market. They were about two thirds of all activity. They weren't two thirds of the listing count. They were two thirds of the pending sales as well as closed sales. So they were a big chunk of the overall housing market. And that, that began to, uh, we bottomed across the country in about uh, 2011 was the bottom. And then 2012, we started to see investors come in first and they started to grab everything that was available. And then in 2013, every caught wind across the United States. It was not just investors. It was all kinds of buyers. Interest rates were a lot lower and it just fueled a lot more uh, demand, which at that point we were able to eat into the inventory. So inventory dropped to a little bit over, it started, it went from 4 million to, uh, it was above 2 million, but the averages during that time period were 
uh, it would peak out uh, a little bit higher than the two million mark. So it was at four, came back at like half almost, and uh, that's where it was from about 2000. Uh, 12 to 2014, but you saw the real bottom in 2011, and not in terms of inventory. We weren't at four million, but it was it was coming down. But it really came down once we hit 2012. Okay, so what you're saying is that it seemed like it was just a recovery over time, but it was slowly and gradually getting there. Yeah, so we I actually referred to to it as a recovery. Uh, uh, it was more of a recovery in the 2010, 2011, that's where it started. You could feel it recovering slowly but surely. By the time we got to 2012, that was where, when investors came in first, you could tell it was the beginning, a hint of the expansion years. And 2013 was definitely the, uh, was everybody was all in. So a definite expansion year. What would you describe the years leading up to uh, 2019? So pre-COVID before. So slowly but surely, we started to see inventory drift down. And it's not like we do that many more units on a, on a yearly basis. It's a pretty close range that we do uh, total units across the United States. So it doesn't really change a whole heck of a lot. And from about 2013 through 2019, it, it was a little bit more and more, uh, you know, closed sales than there were home, homes that were coming on the market, but not by much. But what happened was you saw, if you looked at, if you look at the numbers, you see 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, this slow slope. And then we got to 2018, so 2017. Now 2018 was when we had interest rates rise from four to 5%. And when we had that big change in the interest rates, big change, well, prior to last year, that's like no change, but it was enough where when you get that kind of a change, what you have is this accumulation of inventory. And uh, that's, that's because there was a way of doing business. Everybody thought it was the same way of doing business that it was for several expansion years prior. But now with higher interest rates, buyers weren't biting as much. And a lot of people were languishing on the market and they accumulate on the market when that happens. A little bit drop in demand, and the second half of 2018 was a bit uh, slower. So as a result, we saw inventories rise a bit more. And then at the end of the day, though, 2018 uh, was very close to 2017. So it was coming down in that slope. And then it kind of leveled off uh, for 2018. Then along comes 2019. And we already had accumulated all that inventory at the start of 2018, uh, by the end of 2018. So the market felt a little more sluggish because that inventory was all gained at the end of the year. So it really was sluggish at the beginning of 2019. It was, and then interest rates uh, had come down enough where the second half of 2019 was a lot stronger. We really saw the inventory come down as it normally does. What typically happens is we reach a peak throughout the United States and also uh, SoCal and also Bay Area and all the markets that we're tracking in Phoenix and Vegas. You, can, you reach that peak over the summer. And the summer peak happens typically between July and August for many, many markets. Other markets is from August to September, which is still summer, by the way. So sometime during the summer, we actually uh, uh, peak off. And the reason for that is there are not a lot of homeowners that are or families that like to transact after the kids go back to school. 
kids go back to school, they're going back earlier and earlier. Shoot, uh, I have uh, we have a couple high schoolers that are starting next week, and the rest of the elementary schools in the in the district the, is is going back the following week. So a lot of people are are already going back to school, and here we are. It'll be the middle of August, and that's kind of where we start to see a peak happen. Uh, in a lot of the numbers for the kids that go back to school. Uh, some some places it's later and other areas, just because of the fact that we're getting into winter, they get a small bump at the end of summer. But families, for the most part, do not like to, uh, you know, disrupt the kids during the uh, school uh, during the school year. So they like to transact when? Typically during the spring. In the spring, why do they transact in? Because they go, become a pending sale. They like something, they, they find something, and then they have to close on it, which takes, it's a whole process. You're looking at four to eight weeks, somewhere in between there, average of about, gosh, I haven't been doing this for a while, so I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's six weeks. That's what it used to be when my hair was not white. But um, you're, you're still looking at, you have to, by the time you close from spring, it's summer. And that's when it's best for the for uh, for families to make a move. So that's why that is best. Second best is summer, and that's you place it into into pending status, and then you close down the road. You want to kind of do it before the kids get back to school. Some people wait a little bit longer, and it ends up happening in in September, like what I was talking about. But you could definitely see a fall off once we get to the uh, autumn autumn market. So uh, that's where we typically peak. And so because, and now I'm, I'm thinking, where was I? 2019, we had a lot of homes at the beginning of the year. Then we peaked out in, during the summer and we had interest rates going down so that it fueled some more, uh, some more additional demand. So we actually saw inventory levels come down to levels that we had not seen prior, which meant that 2020 was going to start off, uh, at 2020, which did, started off at a very low, low level. And would you say that you saw any like red flags leading up to COVID? Uh, or would you say that it was mainly like the interest rates that really stuck out for you that you knew something was going to happen? So uh, interest rates were really were, were pretty were pretty strong. Um, I was actually rooting for interest rates to be a little bit higher so that we could add to the inventory. When the interest rates get down too low, we tend to eat into the inventory at a more rapid rate, and then all of a sudden there's less inventory. So that's kind of what happened. And remember, so what happened that led up to the 2018 uh, extra homes and higher interest rates were the Fed. The Fed was letting off the gas pedal. They were actually bleeding off their 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 books. They had way too much, uh, uh, you know, they, they were buying mortgage-backed securities. They were starting to let those uh, fall off. They were raising the short-term rate. And as a result, we had these higher interest rates. Well, it was starting to affect the economy and people, there's a lot of strong arming. And the next thing you know, everybody wanted every uh, everything to go back to normal. We saw them ease back on that whole entire policy. And that's where interest rates dropped uh, uh, after peaking in November of 2018. And I'm, I was sitting there thinking, gosh, it's, it's just unhealthy to have these inventory levels. And Nobody was really talking about it, but I could see what was happening by looking at the numbers that, you know what, if they would have just kept things status quo, we would have been just absolutely fine. Cause I was talking November 2018. So that meant at the start of 2019, we had way too, we, we had nice number of homes on the market. So they, they kept on easing off. By the time we got to the end of 2019, it was just way too hot. And, and uh, interest rates got too low. It's like they could have continued to, uh, you know, uh, drain their balance sheets like they were before, bring up the short-term rate again. But once again, they left the, uh, the short-term rate 
too low for too long. And uh, that, that set up what was going to be an extremely busy 2020 prior to COVID, prior to even seeing it uh, happening. And, and uh, we were off to the races with very few homes on the market. And when you have very few homes on the market and you go into spring, that creates an incredibly hot market. Even if there are not that many homeowners coming on the market or even if inventory starts to rise, it's just you're starting so low, buyers enter the marketplace uh, quicker than, than uh, the homes that come on because that's not the key season. The prime season for homes coming on the market typically peaks across the country in May, most number of homes coming on the market. So at the beginning of the year, there's not that many. And if you're looking and uh, there's just not a lot out there, you're competing. And that's what was happening at the very start of 2020. That leads us into COVID and um, the figures seemed tsunami-like when we were describing them. So uh, where we see like an insane drop in demand to one of the craziest increases and uh, decreases in demand levels ever. So what were you seeing during COVID? Yeah, it was so everybody was freaking out during COVID, um, myself included, a little bit. I mean, shoot, I, we were, if you wanted to go for a walk, you put on a mask and you went, you, if there was somebody uh, that was taking a walk also and they were on the trail that we were on, they'd be on one side, we'd be on the other. And it was like, gosh, don't want to get their cooties. That's the way it was. Remember, everybody didn't know what was going to happen. Although a lot of people took the uh, stance that, uh, you know what, real estate is going to totally take it on the chin. Because what we saw were, I Either waterfall drops in in uh, charts or skyrocketing charts like unemployment things like that and that was really what everybody was expecting to happen in housing was we were gonna get a giant drop in demand well we did get a big drop in demand because you couldn't really even show properties at first we didn't even know how to allow people to look at properties with a uh you know with a uh, a virus like covid that that was out and about and we had a shutdown so how do you show properties <clears throat> so it, it took a bit of bit of time but the the thing was is what i was looking at remember i already was talking about it we didn't have enough homes to begin with so what happened initially is uh, we didn't have a lot of homes to begin with. And all of a sudden, there were 50% fewer homeowners that came on the market in the month of April 2020. So guess what? So even though demand wasn't very uh, strong, neither was the inventory adding to the inventory. So we didn't get that big, giant, extra homes coming on the market. Now, think back to the Great Recession. We had a lot of homes continuously come on the market because there were short sales or foreclosures and negative things happening. But that didn't happen because uh, back then it, it, they had so many bad deals and so much was going on that it was it made it so that that progression of short sales and distressed activity was going to continue. We wouldn't even have got it right away, but immediately they thought of a way of of creating a bridge to the other side of this as people had to stay home and not go to work, and that was forbearance. So forbearance allowed people to stay in their homes and stop their payments and it not affect their credit score. And uh, at this, what they were able to do then is uh, go ahead and uh, once they came out of forbearance, they had to work with the bank to figure out, what do we do with the ones we missed? Well, we'll pay it in a lump sum, we'll either pay it in installment payments, or we'll put it and defer it to the end of the property. And once they did that, then, uh, then they were uh, making their payments on a, on a monthly basis. So that's really what, what the kind of backdrop was. So yes, we did get that drop in demand, and, but we also got this drop in the number of homes coming on the market. So I was talking a lot about supply. 
you know, that good old fashioned econ 101 supply and demand, it really does make a difference because now we have this scarcity of homes coming on the market. When you have a scarcity of anything, it causes a little bit of an issue. Even if demand drops, there's still a scarcity, which is what we're kind of dealing with today. And, and so then what, where we went from there is uh, we saw demand then do that reversal it had, had that waterfall drop, but like so many things, it was like a V-shaped recovery, and that's exactly kind of what happened. So is it safe to say that record low interest rates were to blame for the crazy amount of demand? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say absolutely. Uh, there are other people that say, yeah, we have this normal number of people that come on, and we have the same number all the time. And I've heard all the, all the things that different economists say. Let me tell you, when you have interest rates fall to record lows, it's going to start to make people turn even in the midst of a pandemic. And that is exactly what happened. So what we had is we had one all-time record low, then we had two, then we had three, then we had four. By the time we got to the end of 2020, we had 16 record lows. We hit a 21st record low in January of 2021 at 2.65%. Absurd, no one ever thought we'd ever be in the twos. And here we are at 2.65%, an absurd number when you start to look at a home affordability at 2.65%, things are looking really good. And people are going, I'm gonna get me some of that. And that's what happened. So we had this increase in demand, and yet we had this issue of not enough homes coming on the market for that COVID period. But there were, uh, if you looked at the three-year average of number of people uh, prior to COVID and coming on the market for the second half of 2020, by the time we got to uh, July and August, September, we were actually seeing more homes come on the market. In December, there was the most ever that came on the market for December. But you have to see, December usually is an, a, a month where not a lot of people come on. So if you have more people come on, it's not hard to beat that number. It was nothing like what, what happened during the spring. So total for the year, we were down. We were down. It was still went back to the single digits because remember I told you 50% off for the uh, year uh, for uh, the month of, uh, of April of 2020. It was it depended upon the market. Some were as few as 50% fewer. Some it was 42% fewer, but it was kind of like what we're dealing with now. Uh, more than 40% uh, fewer homes coming uh, on the market and. Uh, but by the time it got to the end of the year, it was single digits. It was like, it depended upon the market between about six and 9% was the, how much it was down for the, for 2020. How did the Fed combat this unsustainably hot housing market and economy, I guess, exiting COVID? So, um, leaving 2021 going into 2022. So, uh, initially when we went into COVID, the, we needed the Fed and, and Congress and everybody to, uh, to step in and build a bridge to get us to the other side of COVID. The problem is, and this is hindsight, this is Monday morning, sit down in my chair, Monday morning qu quarterback going, yeah, I would have done things different. Well, of course I would have done things different. A lot of people would have. I'm sure the Fed wants to take transitory back. They don't want to say transitory, transitory, which is what they were saying with inflation. So, I mean, we can do this all day long, but they, they, they were buying mortgage-backed securities for too long. And uh, they were, uh, and they put the federal funds rate, that's the short-term rate, that's, uh, it immediately has an effect on credit card debt, automobile loans, and uh, equity line credits. Not 30-year mortgages, but uh, that, that's what short-term debt is that's tied to that Fed short-term short rate. So the federal funds rate, they had left it zero, and, and they left it there for such a long period of time, and they were buying mortgage-backed securities, and they were buying other bonds and different things. They had so many different 
programs and facilities to get us to the other side. The problem was it was, when do we stop it? When do we stop it without disrupting uh, the whole entire financial system? So they erred on going too long. So they did too much. But at first, they definitely, everything that they did was great. I would make the argument that we did too much towards the end, including the last package that we stuffed dollar bills into people's pockets that we didn't necessarily need to do. And how did that affect interest rates for mortgage rates, I mean? Well, I mean, that's going to artificially keep mortgage rates down low. Because as, as they ratchet up the Fed short-term rate, but as they keep on going, what ends up happening is that people look at the where they can allocate their uh, investments. And boy, after it comes off its base of zero and starts to go a bit higher, now uh, bonds are looking a little bit more attractive. So then their eyes would be turning towards that. And as a result... Uh, 30-year mortgages and, uh, and, and such start to rise as well because they're pricing in. Where do we think they're going to stop? Well, we think mortgage rates need to be, and, and then you start to see how mortgage-backed securities are going to be trading. You'll actually see a rise off of that floor, which I think was important because we had demand going way too strong for too long. By the time they reacted, it was just, it was just far too late, like what, like what I was uh, stating. And uh, that leads to today. So can you briefly explain what you see going forward for the latter half of 2023 for supply? Can we expect yeah. easing yes. over time? So the Fed knew they had a problem last year. By the time we got to December, they totally announced it of December of 2021. But shoot, they should have acted immediately. But they were afraid of causing ripple effects, which it turned out they weren't. But sometimes you got to just pull off that Band-Aid and see what it does because they kept it down so low so long that the inflation was continuing to rattle out of control, which just prolongs this recovery to getting it back down to 2%. So they could have done things as early as probably November of 2021. Arguably, uh, for, for me, it was the summer of 2021. They wanted to at least begin back then. They waited until March of 2022, where... We were already seeing rises in interest rates as anticipated as to what they were going to do. They were already anticipating it, so go ahead and pull the trigger for Pete's sake. That's what they should have done, but they didn't. They waited till March of 2022 to make their first bump, and then it was steady, uh, steady as you go after that. And then we had our most recent July shocker that they went up a quarter percent. Uh, my argument is the last, the last one didn't need to be done. Uh, any talk of anything in the future doesn't need to be done. Uh, the reason for that is uh, we all know I, I'm a, a long-term economist. This is what I do, and economics is slow and boring. But for us, lots of fun. I, can't, I love it. I love when uh, the numbers sometimes make everybody all darned upset, and it's just one number, for Pete's sake. It, numbers go all over the place, and sometimes we have outliers and different things like that. Who really cares? I'm going to look at the overall trend. Overall trend is it's down, slowly but surely coming down. They have a problem with, with uh, cores not coming down fast enough. Boo-hoo. I already know what's going to. Everybody does that follows it really closely. They know it's going to be coming down. I don't understand why they're, they're constantly posturing because they don't want the uh, United States to get out of control too early until they've got this thing under control. But they know that they're moving in the right direction. They're just not going to say that out loud. So instead, they're trying to articulate uh, a what they refer to to as the soft landing or uh, that's what so many people are saying that they're oh my gosh they're achieving it but we'll have to wait and see because if they continue to ratchet up the short-term rate because they don't want to err on the side of 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 uh, uh, of stopping too early which I told you they should 
but they don't want to err on that, so they're going to err on the on the um, being too extreme. And they constantly are doing this, where they're erring, they're erring, they're erring. Oh, we don't want to disrupt the markets. We'll wait until we pull the trigger. So I'd rather say, hey, you know what? We're fine with where we're at right now. Once we see it come down enough, then we're going to come down. They've got. I, I think that that's where the direction that they need to pivot. That's their pivot. Their pivot is that they're going to say, we're going to stop, absorb the stuff. We know this is going to affect the economy. You guys just wait and see. Don't get ahead of yourselves because there's going to be some ripple effects down the road, which will negatively affect uh, Wall Street and all the financial markets. But uh, we'll be monitoring everything as and, and easy as it goes. Make it feel like that they're really driving the bus rather than uh, it feels like it's so wishy-washy, so much uncertainty. I want a little more certainty in their talk. So it's safe to say that. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to see much of a release in supply for quite some time then. Yeah, see, so the supply issue, it got lower and lower. It got lower because of, uh, uh, not because of this insatiable demand. That's not what's going on this time around. I can, I can, I can show you the numbers and all day long, and I look at it all, over and over again. Demand is not incredibly hot right now. Demand is pending sales activity. Pending sales activity is very reminiscent of the Great Recession. It's not the Great Recession. Please do not contact me or say, see, it's going to be a bubble. It's not going to be a bubble. It's not like that. Homeowners way too strong. They're not uh, suffering from a recession. Everybody's doing just fine on the homeowner front. It's the number of units, number of pending sales as to number of closed sales looks very recessionary. It's not good for the housing market. It's not good for anybody that's tied to housing because everybody's taking a bit of a bath. I mean, there's some exceptions out there, but by and large, when you see fewer transactions to the magnitude that we're seeing right now. It's a real issue and it's very recessionary for anybody that's making a living off of the real estate. As far as the homeowner is concerned, well, uh, as a result of the homeowners sitting uh, there in uh, they own a vast majority either own their home, uh, well, they don't, vast majority don't own their home free, free and clear, but it's like 40% own their home free and clear. Well, the other 60% have incredibly wonderful low fixed mortgage rates, not adjustables, not pick a payment plan, not subprime. They had to qualify because of Dodd-Frank and, uh, and qualifying uh, standards are extremely tight. You can't fog a mirror. You actually have to uh, you know, show and prove that you can make that monthly uh, payment. You do that and you know what? Uh, you can have a loan. But what that's done is it's created this housing stock that's incredibly strong. They're not going anywhere. They love their low interest rates. Now, is everybody uh, going to stay in their houses? They're handcuffed or uh, mortgage lockdown? No. Some people are going to say, I can afford to, to do it. But other people are going to go, I, don't, I can afford to do it, but I don't want to do it because it's too big of a payment on the other side of me doing that. I'm just going to wait. And I'm just fine with uh, this extra money that I have on a monthly basis. I want to still go travel. I still want to do things. Uh, I'm going to stay put. And that's what's happening. So by and large, we have fewer homes coming on the market. And that is impacting. It also has a slight impact on the number of pending sales because there's just nothing that that you can place into escrow when there's fewer available. You can't place uh, them into escrow, right? When there's uh, not as many available. But really, it's the lack of homes coming on the market is significantly impacting the inventory. So inventories levels are in some areas, some metros I'm looking at, some metros are actually the lowest. They're even lower than 2021, which is unheard of, which set up January of 2022. Across the United States, we hit record low inventory levels. 
right now in many markets, 2020, uh, 2023 is a little bit lower than 2021, which what does that tell you about 2024? Because we're about to hit a peak. If we hit a peak in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, that's for SoCal and for the Bay Area. Looks like I was looking at the Bay Area today. It looks like it might have already hit a peak because that's what happens. Happens typically right now. Didn't happen in July, but it looks like it's going to happen in August. I'm actually got my fingers crossed and I'm on my knees hoping that it doesn't happen till September because I don't want there to be such a few number of homes available in 2024, but that is the way it is setting up right now. I'll know more in the in next uh, coming weeks, but it looks like we're about to peak out and and then inventory drops for the rest of the year, slowly but surely. And then it plunges during the holidays, which sets up that 2024 with nothing on the market. Sweet. Well, now I want to transition over to the jobs report that came out um, today. And we had the jobless claims yesterday. What can you say about that? Jobless claims uh, went up like, what, 6,000 for the week? Wow. Mm -hmm. From week to week. That's not the, that, that many. We're, we, we need to see more jobless claims or actually... The Fed wants to see more jobless claims. And what they're worried about is a wage price spiral. So they're looking very closely at wages getting out of control, which the wages things came out today, and it's not out of control. It didn't come down uh, quite as uh, by, I think it was off by 0.1, that they, where they wanted it to come down for the month. That was an expectation. So, but uh, the... Uh, ADP came out with their jobs report, second month in a row where they came out, oh my gosh, everybody got hired. And then uh, along comes the jobs report and it's less than expectations. Once again, less than expectations. So for Pete's sake, everybody on Wall Street, every investor out there, stop looking at the ADP numbers. It's only, it'll kind of may give you an idea, but it typically does not. Instead, jobs report, jobs Friday. Here we are, jobs Friday. And and, and it beat, uh, it was lower uh, than expectations, a bit, but you know what? Still lower than expectations, and uh, unemployment still uh, went down a little bit as well. Uh, we need, because right now we're stuck in this interest rate land of right around 7%. It went a little bit higher this last week, but it's right around 7%. And, and we're kind of stuck here until we start to see uh, until we start to see a better handle on inflation numbers, as well as if anything else slows in the economy, which I think we're going to start to see in numbers as we move along for the rest of this year, maybe later on this month, we'll, we'll see some. Uh, but that's where things are at. So actually, these were good news pieces because I think inter interest rates, the big news was yesterday was we had hit the 10-year uh, the, the treasury hit its highest level in super long time. <laughs> A long time. Yeah, so we were, we were up there as far as interest rates were concerned, but we didn't beat what we hit in October. And now today they're down again uh, because of that jobs report. And it's so wishy-washy. This thing will be absorbed, uh, you know, our credit rating thing. I don't know if you're going to ask me that question, but yeah, definitely. With these, I guess, good readings, what would you say the Fed is going to do for the remainder of the year? Hopefully sit on their little hands. <laughs> for Pete's sake. I've heard other economists say the same thing. I mean, I would like to talk to them and I'd like to debate them on a few different things because they're, they're not, they're, they're very concerned about the stickiness of core inflation. I'm not as concerned. We, we peaked out. It's come down a little bit. It will continue to come down. We know it's coming down. We've seen the slope on the two areas that they're following the most, leisure and hospitality. 
uh, leisure, and then also um, the service industry, actually, and also the, the, the housing. Housing data that goes into that. There, the housing's a big chunk of it, and it's already hit its its uh, it's hit its peak and is coming down. For Pete's sake, it doesn't drop like a lot rock. It's not like COVID, where we had this significant uh, V-shaped recoveries or it went way up and un uh, unemployment came way down real quick. That's not how it's going to be. It's a slow, methodical, boring grind. Uh, we've heard different things like watching uh, paint dry. It's like watching, oh, my wife, she made uh, uh, tomatoes. Uh, she made tomatoes. She didn't make tomatoes. She planted tomatoes, and we were watching that thing. There was nothing. Then we saw a flower, and then we saw a little, you know, a little, little tiny little green tomato and a bigger green tomato. And guess what? We picked that tomato, and there's one more tomato on there. But we picked it. If I would have sat there and watched the whole thing, I knew that tomato was going to happen. But it's going to take time. So nothing you can do or say, you can ratchet up the short-term rate, that's not going to make that uh, tomato get any riper any faster. I'm so sorry. You can go ahead and try to disrupt the whole entire economy and collapse the economy so that we can get that 2%. But you know what? Just be patient. Sit on your hands. And I think that they're going to be, be hard-pressed not to do anything unless we see something totally out of the normal. Out of yesterday... Ordinary. Um, we saw the second highest mortgage rate, which was 7.20, since, uh, mid October, 2022, where rates were 7.32. Um, do you see it surpassing these readings at any point this year or could negative economic readings hedge against it? Or I guess positive, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it would be, it wouldn't be positive reading. It would be negative readings. Any negative readings will head is the hedge against uh, rates going up any higher, and that's kind of what we're going to start to see. We're going to see inflation come down, and that's going to be its the uh, hedge against much higher rates, unless there's something unforeseen and the economy starts barreling out of control hotter. That's what's keeping interest rates where they're at today. The range is six and a half to seven and a half percent. We're stuck there because the economy is too hot, but we're going to start to see some things. Be uh, Peter out because we've had these interest rate changes uh, so drastic in 2022. They take time to hit the overall commercial real estate, uh, apartment buildings. Uh, there's so many different places that it can hit. And um, it's just going to take time for all this stuff to hit. So we're going to see it in those. We're also going to see that uh, student debt, they have to start paying their student debt come, uh, what, this month? So now they're paying their student debt. We're going to start to see that in, in uh, spending. And there's just going to be different aspects of the economy where we're going to feel this bit of a slowdown. And so I think that it's we've kind of seen that top again, kind of like what we saw in October, kind of see this top again. And it comes on a week also. We reach that height understand that part of that height is uh, it's, it's the fact that they, the United States got a different credit rating. It's a bunch of Bologna. You can actually hear a lot of uh, some really smart people talk about it. And you know what? The United States, at the end of the day, it's not like a household uh, uh, debt or a company's P&L statement and they're spending into the negative uh, sign too much. That's not what the way government operates. Governments don't operate that. There is always an appetite for the United States debt. We are one of the strongest 
uh, countries. Uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing a better job of managing our money. We definitely can. But people say, Stephen, are you extremely concerned? No, not really extremely concerned. But for the minute that somebody does one of those credit changes, it totally disrupts things. And what do we see? We saw interest rates uh, go up as well as uh, bonds go up and different things along those lines. Ah, you know what? That too shall pass, like everything, uh, like, like everything else. We'll, we'll be past it. It's not as big of a thing as what, what people are making out to be. It's kind of like the, the big giant uh, regional banking system. Oh, it's going to collapse and the whole thing's going to be calamitous. And we saw that that was reversed. We saw a big giant drop in, in uh, rates as well as drop in 10-year treasury. And that fixed itself uh, right away as, as well. So you know what? People like to make a bigger hay about nothing. And that's exactly what this is, is a lot of hay about nothing. Sweet. I'd like to uh, transition to some common questions and themes that we're seeing uh, fairly common everywhere. So uh, as a real estate agent, who's also an owner of vacation rentals and Big Bear mentioned the slowing for rentals like Airbnb and an uptick in the sales inventory. Uh, what do you currently see in the Big Bear market? Yeah, so I, I took a look at the Big Bear market. Big Bear market's actually a little bit slower. And there are some areas where they're seeing some slowness uh, in, in these vacation uh, places, but there are other areas where it's not hitting it as hard. Uh, so you're going to see these different little snippets around the United States. And the problem is any snippet that you see around the United States they tend to talk about it quite a bit, and it makes it sound like it is this macro problem across the United States. It's not a macro problem across the United States. We have Airbnbs all over the place. Big Bear is not the only place. And uh, they have a lot more people that are selling up in that area. It's not uh, just uh, Airbnbs. If we had a flood of Airbnbs, we would see it, wouldn't we? We'd see it in the data. We have a problem. We don't have enough inventory. So the data is more than welcome just about everywhere. And I know here I am in South Orange County and along the coast, we don't, we have an inventory issue here as well. So there's inventory issues all over the place. So, and then really what's, what's, uh, you know, it kind of chaps my hide about the Airbnb bust is it's just these, a few different owners and all that stuff can make a story. And that's the way stories work. If uh, a lot of uh, the press, uh, they, they ask for, is anybody uh, feel this right now? And they'll go interview them. And when they interview them, it makes it sound like it's a macro problem when really it can be a micro problem. It can even be one individual problem. I've had people talk about different sides of uh, a city, a certain zip code and things like that. That's, you're getting so granular that things can change on a dime and it might just be some strange data piece that is just an outlier. You just can't, you don't know when you're looking at something so small. You got to look at the big picture. I think we'd see a few more homes on the market, which is more than welcome. I told you, we need more inventory. So uh, welcome aboard anybody that's having a problem. And people think it's going to be a bust and they are going to be foreclosures and short sales and stuff like that. A lot of these people have a lot of equity in their houses. They could turn around and sell it. I already told you, not enough homes on the market. There are a few exceptions out there. Big Bear, you just have to be a little bit more mindful in placing your home on the market at the right price. And, but we don't see values plummeting or anything like that because the, the, the discrepancy between everything else that's around it and Big Bear would look, wow, that looked great. So we're not seeing anything plummet. It's just we're seeing a transition to a bit of a slower market in some areas like Big Bear. So what you're saying is that we, will see, we won't see an uptick in listings or like a crazy increase, even though 
the Airbnbs and all these rentals are seeing just sort of a struggling time, just to elaborate. Yeah, it's some Airbnbs are, but uh, shoot, I had such a hard time uh, booking something in Michigan and I stopped looking, you know, one of those procrastination things where I said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to book that trip to Michigan because your cousin was getting married, our niece, and I was ready to go and all that stuff. I didn't do it. I had a whole bunch of properties that I liked, but when I went back and I still booked it way in advance, I'm talking in advance. I'm talking, uh, this was in the throes of a bad real estate time, October of 2022. So uh, and then I finally went, went about and did it. I think I did it in December of 2022 and half of what I was looking at was already booked. So it just depends. I mean, you can make a big story about uh, nothing and that's, I think, what, what people are doing. And not everybody's made out to be Airbnb owners and, you know, there's different ways of doing it. I had somebody that was great, that thought they were great at Airbnbs. I've done a lot of Airbnbs or VRBOs or whatever and uh, we went to one and they, they just didn't, the hospitality wasn't as good as what I would normally get with it. So, you, you know, if you're going to make it shine, you're going to do really well. You're going to get these five-star reviews and People are going to want to go to your, your place. If you're going to uh, lackluster, let poison ivy grow all over the place. And then if you put a semi-bad review where you say, hey, you know what? You really need to clean up this place. They could have said, I, that's, this is an actual experience. They ended up telling me that, that uh, you know what? If you don't take that down, then uh, we're going to sue you. That's not poison ivy. And it was poison ivy. We took pictures of it and everything else. But you know what? Take care of the problem. Bring us uh, extra towels. When you say you have an air mattress, have an air mattress. <laughs> You'll do well if you treat this like a business because that's what Airbnbs and VRBOs are. It's really a business. Make it shine. Make it fun. And people are going to go. I've been to places. We went to Oceanside. That's right down the street from us last year. And, and we went there and it was like the, I think it was the mermaid cottage. We went in there. Everything was decked out like a mermaid and all that stuff. It was so fun. Kids loved it. We had a good time. Everything was painted aqua and they went with the theme all the way and we loved it. And they knew what they were doing. These people were in it to win it. Other people, they're just your mom and pop Airbnb. They might have one or two and they, they don't really treat it like a business. Mm. I'm going to say that maybe that has something to, to, to do with things. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you for um, joining us for another episode. I'm just going to have to conclude us here. And if you'd like to learn more about the current housing market, go check out our YouTube or subscribe to our reports from our website, which is uh, reportsonhousing.com. We currently cater to Southern California and the Bay Area with expansions coming soon. So if you um, sign up today, you can use the code SUPPLY for one free month and it will be available until the next episode. So please leave us a good review. And if you have any questions, feel free to post it on any of our social media, or you can even email me at info at reportsonhousing.com. And uh, we will see you, we will see you soon and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.